Welcome this morning to First Church. Uh, Always glad to have everyone here this morning, and welcome to those listening on the radio. I have a couple announcements to to bring to your attention. Congratulations to Mitchell and Brittany Hirschfeld on the birth of their daughter, Karis Molina, who was born on Wednesday, August 8th, weighing 8 pounds and was 20 and a half inches long. Welcomed home by big sister Petra. Mitchell's the son of Eric and Jana Hirschfeld, and Brittany is the daughter of Judy and Irwin of Columbus. And we also welcome back Audrey Irvin this morning to First Church as our guest pianist. She and her husband David live in Marysville, and her parents to Annie, Craig, Philip, and Juliet. Audrey is the daughter of Eric and Jana. And now I'll invite Pastor Joel up for a few announcements. Thanks, Dave. A couple things I want to uh, draw your attention to that aren't in the bulletin this morning. Uh, one is uh, a service project opportunity that really just came up this weekend. On Friday afternoon, uh, Pastor Dennis from the Methodist Church here in town gave me a call and, and said that they had just learned that there was a, a, an immediate need at the Auglaise County Crisis Center for non-perishable food items. Um, some of their normal uh, donations that usually come in at this point of the year haven't, and so they're really in need of, of, of some support. And so um, we're kind of teaming together. Uh, they brought us some bags over here and a list of needed items, um, and we just set them down front. There's 20 paper bags and there's 20 uh, lists there. Um, and I just want to invite anyone who's able and willing uh, after the service, come down here, uh, grab a paper bag, bring it home, fill it with items from this list, and then next Sunday, bring it back here to church, and then a family from the Methodist Church is going to swing by and pick them up and then make that donation to the Auglaise County Crisis Center. Um, what an opportunity for us to, to be the hands and feet of Christ in our community by, by literally feeding people who are in need. And, and so um, if you're able and willing to do that, uh, the information you need is down here up front. Uh, like I said, they brought us over 20 paper bags. If there's more than 20 people here that want to do this, if you come up front and the bags are gone, that doesn't mean you can't help. Um, of course you can. You just need to find your own bag. Uh, fill it up and bring it back, and I'm sure they will definitely take those donations still as well. So uh, I just pray that you'll be uh, willing to, to step out and, and to do that in this, in this time of need for them. Uh, the other thing I want to point out to you is, is in two weeks, so August 26th, um, after church, uh, we're going to have uh, what I'm calling a ministry fair because I didn't come up with anything more creative to call it. Uh, and, and really, it's, it's not as extensive as it sounds. What we'd like to do is after the service that Sunday, so two weeks from now, we're going to have some information about uh, what's going to be happening in the coming year over in the Heritage Room. Uh, we're going to have some tables set up, and, and, t- and it's an opportunity to sign your kids up for Sunday school for the coming year, get information about the youth ministry and the program that's coming up this coming year, as well as adult Bible studies that meet throughout the week. You'll have information about when those meet and where they meet, um, as well as opportunities to serve, uh, how to sign up and, and be a part of the choir, how to sign up and serve Tuesday, the first Tuesday of the month at the soup kitchen, and, and different things like that, uh, opportunities to, to grow in Christ and opportunities to serve our, our church and our community. Um, so I want to invite you all to, to stick around after church that Sunday, August 26th, and, and spend some time over there learning how you can be rooted, growing, and serving um, our church and our community. So uh, you'll hear more information about that in the next couple weeks, and I invite you to be a part of that. Thanks, Dave. Thank you, Pastor Joel. And now if you would uh, stand for the call to worship, which is from Luke chapter 9, 
verses 23 through 26. Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man, will be ashamed of them when he comes to his glory, and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. And we will continue to stand and sing hymn number 185, When I Survey the Wonderful Cross. ask the children to come forward for a children's chat with Shelby. We'd uh, ask that you greet your neighbors. Good morning. Are you? Good morning. How are you guys today? Good. I've got a fun experiment for you guys. Are you guys ready for this? No? Yeah. Anybody ready? Yeah. All right. So this is going to be you, this class, okay? And inside this glass is our life. Our life is what makes us. 
Our life is how we live and what we do. This egg is Jesus. So everybody, because God made us all, everybody has Jesus in them. Okay? Everybody. doesn't matter if you're a boy or a girl, if you're a baby, if you're in your 90s, in your 20s. It doesn't matter. Everybody's got Jesus. Well, how, how does Jesus come about in our lives? Like, why is Jesus there? To keep us safe. To keep us safe. Does Jesus love you guys? Yeah, of course he does. Well, this salt is going to kind of be like good and the goodness in our lives. Because Jesus brings goodness, right? So say you guys open the door for somebody. And say you guys start going to vacation Bible school. And say you guys start coming to Sunday school regularly. And you guys get to learn a little bit more about Jesus. You see, something's happening, right? Jesus is starting to kind of work in our lives. Well, then, because Jesus starts working in our lives, we do more and more and more good things. Well, then we start saying our prayers at night. We start listening to mom and dad. We start playing with people that we normally maybe wouldn't play with on the playground. We maybe stop making fun of people. We start opening the doors for people. We start listening and picking up our toys, and we start doing all of these good things. Because Jesus is changing us. Do you guys see what's happening to the egg? It's going up. It's going up. Jesus is becoming more and more and more a part of our lives. And it keeps going up because he's sprinkling goodness in our lives. Because he is this example of goodness and love. And he is always with us, right? Well, what happened to the egg? Where's it at? It floated up at the top and it's on top of the water. And I keep going and I keep going. And you know what? That egg is no longer in the bottom. Is he floating on top? Do you guys see the top of the eggshell up there? Now, what happened to the water? Some of my older boys, what happened to this water? What does it look like? It's salt water. Did it change? Is it clear? Do you think I can see Courtney through this glass on the other side? No, it's cloudy. Well, that's because it started to change the water. Jesus changes us when we allow him to be part of our lives. And when we allow him to be a daily presence with us, he rises up and he starts shining through and peeking through. And then people start really seeing that and be like, hey, they, they got something different about them. I wonder what that is. And then that's when you guys share. Be like, I've got Jesus in my heart. Right? All right. So let's go ahead and pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you for today. We thank you for all these kids up here. But Lord, we thank you for being a part of our lives. We thank you for being a part of our hearts and for being an example in our lives and for what goodness is. And Lord, let there be an example in us to show through to others 
that we have you in our hearts, we have you in our lives, and that we want to share you with others. In your son's name, amen. Killed in the last week in our behalf, members of our coalition forces in Afghanistan in the Parwan province. Corporal Patrick Stepanik, 25, from the Czech Republic. Corporal Camille Benes, 28, from the Czech Republic. Sergeant Martin Marcin, 36, from the Czech Republic and Naval Air Station, North Island, San Diego, California. We lost helicopter air crewman, first class, Jonathan Richard Clement, 31, from Vero Beach, Florida. Thank you, Jay. Before we pray this morning, I just want to take a moment and remind us of why we pray and why we take time during our service to to lift up not only the, the concerns that are represented by the names in our bulletin, but other important things in our community and our world. Uh, prayer does, uh, prayer is important. And prayer does two things, I mean, that I want to highlight today. Uh, one is, is prayer is our way of calling out to God and, and, and crying out to Him and asking Him to, to intervene and work in our lives. The Bible testifies over and over again that God hears the prayers of His people. God hears the cries of His people. Um, you see that through, like in the Exodus story, all the way through the New Testament. God hearing his people. And so when we pray together, like we're about to do in just a moment, we're crying out to God and praying that he would work in these situations and work in our lives and in our own hearts as well. Uh, but prayer does something else too, and it, and it, it changes us. It affects us. Uh, prayer is a way for us to come together as a community and, and, and as the people of God. And, and, and when we pray about certain things, we're asking God to change our hearts as well, change how we view situations and change, um, change our heart in these matters. And so um, just a, a last week when I was at my, my annual conference for the Four Cs, I was just reminded of the importance of prayer and the importance of, of corporate prayer uh, as part of our service. And so um, being on the radio, uh, we obviously don't want to be praying for specific names and specific illnesses and whatnot because you probably don't necessarily want that thrown out on the radio for all to hear. Uh, but we can pray. God knows what's happening in those situations. God knows what's going on. And so we can lift those things up uh, together as one. Uh, but we can also be praying for different uh, things in our community, things in our world, and different, um, more of those big picture issues as well. And so um, I want to begin to incorporate more of those kind of focuses in our prayer as well during this time. And so, uh, so for example, this week with uh, being the anniversary of, of what happened in Charleston, South Carolina, and uh, I think it's good for us to pray for, for peace Pray for reconciliation. Pray for those things of God that you know, the kingdom of God manifests itself in this world. Um, we pray every week, your kingdom come, your will be done. And this is just an extension of that. Um, so with all of that being said, let's pray together and let's lift these things up to the Lord as one. Uh, Father, we do pray this morning knowing full well that you hear us. Uh, we are grateful for your spirit's presence in our lives, for your son, Jesus Christ, who is even now interceding at the right hand uh, of, of his Father in heaven. Lord, we thank you for that. 
We thank you for the good news of the gospel that says even though we are sinners and we don't deserve to be in your presence, Lord, you have brought us close through the blood of Christ. And it is by his merit and his righteousness that we have the opportunity now to to come to you and pray, knowing that you hear us. And and we pray in, in Jesus' name, under his authority and by his merit, Lord, these things that we have before us today. Uh, Lord, we, we thank you for your goodness and, and the names and, and the lives that are represented in our bulletin under the, in the prayers and concerns list. Uh, Lord, as I, as I mentioned, you know what's going on. You know the details of each one of those situations. You know exactly what is needed. And I pray, Lord, that you would uh, bring, to, uh, bring healing to those that are in need of it. We pray for provision for those who are in need. We pray for reconciliation for those, Lord that are in need. And we also recognize that there are names that could be added to that list that aren't. Um, There's burdens that people are carrying in even now, even this day, that are not, uh, uh, not represented there. But you know what's going on. And so I pray for all those that are gathered here, those that are listening on the radio, that, that whatever burdens they may be carrying, whatever distractions they may have in their lives, Lord, I pray that you would work in those things, that you would work in those situations that your spirit would be present and that, uh, that healing and peace and your kingdom would come. Uh, Lord, we, we pray for our nation, our communities. We pray that, you would, that your kingdom would be realized in, in real and practical ways. We pray for peace, Lord. We pray for an end to senseless violence, Lord, in this country and around the world. Uh, Lord, you don't delight in evil. You don't delight in, in violence or anything like that. And so we pray that the Prince of Peace would be made known um, and, that, and that your kingdom would come and, and we would be able to experience that in part even now, Lord, in this world that we live in. Uh, Lord, we pray also uh, for those who are in authority over us, as your word calls us to do. We pray for our leaders. We pray that they would uh, lead well and, and that they'd have a hunger and thirst after your righteousness and that you would give us that same hunger and thirst as well, um, as, as you promised that we will be satisfied and we will be filled. We thank you for all these things in the name of Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. I invite those who are helping with the offering to come forward at this time. Uh, We're blessed to have Bob Grimes lead us in some special music. When I think of how he came so far from glory, came and dwelt among the lowly, such as I, to suffer shame. And such disgrace on Mount Calvary, take my place. 
I ask myself this question, who am I? Who am I that the king would bleed and die
I'd ask you to stand as we hear the scripture today, which comes from the book of Acts, chapter 24, verses 22 through 27. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to follow along. Then Felix, who was well acquainted with the way, adjourned the proceedings. When Lysias, the commander, comes, he said, I will decide your case. He ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom and permit his friends to take care of his needs. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about the faith in Jesus. As Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, That's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. At that same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bride, so he sent for him frequently and talked with him. When two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, but because Felix wanted to grant favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. I now ask you to open your blue hymnals and turn to page 394 as we sing the hymn, In My Life, Lord, Be Glorified. pray that in this time, in this service, and now in, in this message, Lord, that you would be glorified. I pray that you would give me the words to speak, uh, the message that you've, you have before us today, and I pray that you would open up all of our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. I'm sure I've, I've used this story as, a, as an analogy already once before, and if you're going to be with us or if I'm going to be with you for a significant amount of time, I'm sure I'll use it again. Uh, but I, like, I want to just take a moment and share with you like, what was going through my mind that moment that we brought Josephine home from the hospital. Um, I can't believe it, but in a little less than two weeks, she'll be four years old now, um, and and it hit me earlier this summer that she will have now spent the she has now spent the majority of her life in New Knoxville, um, which just kind of blew me away when I realized that. Uh, but I remember four years ago this month, uh, Josephine was born, and and I remember that time when when it was time to go home. We were in the hospital for a few days as as Allie recovered, and they were looking after Josephine. And then and when that day came, I believe it was a Wednesday morning. Um, 
they shipped us off. And I remember, if, as I'm sure many of you who are first-time parents remember that feeling of, of leaving the hospital. Um, you know, they, they walk you out to the door. They had me bring the car around, make sure the car seat's all ready to go. And then they just left us there, like all by myself or all, all just us as a family. Like, like they're entrusting us to take this little child home and like care for it and, and be responsible for another human life. I just remember thinking in that moment, like, how did I, like, how is this possible? Like, how is this, how are we going to do this? You know, we kind of were, were just in that moment felt very, un, at least I should speak for myself, I felt very unprepared and, and unready for that responsibility. I remember that drive home. We lived uh, up in northeast Ohio at the time. The hospital that we went to was about a 25-minute drive or so through country roads back to our house. And I remember that was the most frightful drive of my life, thinking all these crazy drivers around me were, were taking up too much of the road. And uh, But I just remember feeling just so anxious and so nervous about about that responsibility that I had for that new life. And really, in that moment, there was no turning back. I had been changed forever in that moment because I was no longer just Joel. I was no longer even just Allie's husband. I was now a dad. And that is a big change. And that is a big responsibility. And I share that with you this morning because last week we talked about being misunderstood as Christians and how we often get distracted or people misunderstand what we truly stand for. And I talked about the importance of standing firm on the gospel and making that the focus of everything we do and that our first priority as individuals and as a church should be to focus on that and to focus on the truth of God's saving grace through Jesus Christ. And that's true. But the moment we receive that, the moment we make that our first priority, the moment that that becomes the center of everything we do in our own lives and as a church, it changes us. We can't be the same people we were before we met Christ. His grace transforms us. It changes us from the inside out. His spirit living in us makes an impact not just in and, and our standing before Christ and before God as, as saved people, but as how we live our lives here and now. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. See, God's gospel, His grace is very inconvenient if you think about it, because it doesn't leave us as we are. It changes us. It transforms us. And that is so much more than just knowledge. It's more than just belief. It's, it's how we live our lives. And the gospel impacts every aspect of that. So if you're in Christ, if you've put your trust in him, if you've been brought into his family and brought into his kingdom, you've been given a new responsibility to live according to the gospel, to live faithfully in response to what Christ has done for us. Not to earn our salvation, that's already been done for us through Christ, but to live it out, live in response to what Jesus has done for us. And so what are you going to do with it? How are you going to live in response to Christ? I said it's not just knowledge. In this passage here with this exchange between Felix and Paul, we see Felix said he was, he, the, Felix was very familiar with the way. He was very familiar with these early Christians and the church and the, the gospel of Christ. He had the knowledge of what was going on. But yet that knowledge had not made an impact in his life. 
You see, we, we kind of skimmed over a couple chapters here in Acts, and, and, and I, I skimmed over them because they're, they're Paul's testimony, his, his testimony before the crowd that arrested him originally, the testimony before the Sanhedrin, which is the Jewish ruling council. And now, as a Roman citizen, he had the right to, to his first case to be heard by Roman officials, and so he had testified before Felix as well. And so we see the same themes popping up. Paul even recounts his, his encounter on the Damascus Road um, and, and how Christ, he had experienced the grace of Christ for himself. And it was after all these testimonies, after all that Felix and others had heard, Felix kind of goes to Paul and, and inquires a little bit more about what he'd been sharing. And it's in that moment that Paul talks about what it means to truly have faith in Christ, that it's not just knowledge, it's not just belief, but it's how you live out your life. And we see that because Paul, it says that Paul talked about things like righteousness and self-control and the final judgment. All those things have to do with how we live in response to the gospel. How we order our lives in response to what God has done for us. The ethical or moral implications of, of trusting in Christ for our salvation. And so Felix is very well aware of what, who Jesus was and what Christianity was all about from, a, from an intellectual perspective. But yet you see here, he didn't have time for that. As soon as Paul started talking about how the gospel and how grace and how faith in Christ impacts how we live, he shut down that conversation pretty quick. He says he gets upset and he, and he says, I'm... I'm I'll come back when it's convenient for me. And so it's about more than just information. You see, we've had, we have more information at our fingertips now than we've ever had at any point in human history. I mean, a good majority of you here today could pull a supercomputer out of your pocket that we call our phone, right? And we're connected to the internet, we're connected to Google, we're connected to Wikipedia, we have, which may not always be the best sources of information, I should, I should say that. But we're connected to all this information and we just don't even know what to do with it. I could be, you know, I don't know if I should say this right now, but you could be pulling out your phone and Googling what I have to say in real time to fact check me, right? You have that information available to you right now. And you have free Wi-Fi here, so you could do it. But just because we have all that information doesn't mean we're allowing it to impact us. Just because we have the knowledge of God doesn't mean we're allowing it to actually infiltrate our lives and, and change who we are from the inside out. Knowledge does not necessarily equal trust and faith. I believe as a society, we often, uh, as American Christians, we suffer from spiritual bulimia. We consume so much information, but we never really allow it to do the work of actually nourishing our souls. We don't allow it to actually make a difference in our lives. Twice in Scripture, uh, to the prophet Ezekiel and then later in the book of Revelation to the prophet John, God commands the prophet to eat a scroll, to eat the word of God and fit, like physically consume it. Now, don't start tearing pages out of your Bible here and start eating it. That's not the point. But it's a symbol. It's a, it's a, it's a picture of, of what it means to allow God's word to really nourish us. And really allow God's word to make an impact. Like, like when we eat healthy food, when we eat good food, we consume it. 
and then our body absorbs all the good nutrients in order to sustain our lives. In the same way, God's Word, the knowledge about God, isn't meant to just be consumed without making an impact. It's meant to be consumed so that it transforms us, so that our our souls can absorb the, the nourishment that we need in order to follow Christ and to know Him better and to serve Him better in this world. So, so the gospel is more than just information, but it's also more than just belief. You see, it's possible to know things about God and even believe that they're true and still not allow the Spirit to really work in us, to really allow the, the Holy Spirit to, to change our hearts and our minds. If you think back to our series through James uh, some time ago, James 2 talked about how faith without works is dead. Your faith must inform how you live. It's not about just keeping God in a box saying, yeah, I believe God, but not allowing that to then impact our lives. True faith, true belief is trust. It's, it's, allowing, it's, it's taking what we know about God, taking what we believe to be true, and then allowing that to then work in us and, and manifest itself in our lives, in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions. I believe, and Tori might have to correct me later if I'm wrong, I believe it was two years ago the, the youth group theme was head, heart, and hands, right? Last year was head, heart, and hands. Thank you. And I love that theme because it encompassed what it means to like really have faith in Christ. It's, it's knowledge about God. Yes, we want to believe, we want to know right things, right? We want to know about God as he's revealed himself to us in Scripture. It's about our heart. It's about believing those things to be true. And it's about allowing that information to transform how we think and how we feel and how we perceive things. But it's more than that even, too. It's, it's our hands. It's, a lot, it's then taking that knowledge, taking that, that belief, and then living it out through, through our actions and, and allowing it to transform our everyday life. Unfortunately, most of us put God in a box. We allow... Instead, we need to allow the gospel to impact everything we do, how we think, how we interact with others, how we work, how we think about current issues. All of it must be saturated with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of his life, his death, and his resurrection, all so that sinners can be redeemed and and brought into his kingdom. See, Paul talked about things like righteousness and self-control and the final judgment. Paul, as I already mentioned, was fleshing out the practical and the ethical implications of the gospel. In other words, he was saying if the gospel is true, if Jesus is God and the Father raised him from the dead, then it's going to affect how we view things and how we live. And in this passage in particular, it doesn't really flesh out what Paul's view was on things like righteousness, self-control, and the final judgment but from his other writings, as well as the rest of the New Testament, we can, we can get an idea of how that conversation probably went. See, Paul would have told Felix that, that we need to have righteousness, but it's not righteousness of our own. Paul writes to the Philippian church in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 14. He wrote to them, But whoever, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ 
and be found in him. And here's the key, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering, becoming like him in death, and so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Notice it's, it's a righteousness that's not of his own doing. It's a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that Christ earned on our behalf. We receive as we put our trust in God. And then Paul says, then I go on to try to take hold of that which, for which Christ has taken hold of me. In other words, in response to what Christ has done, Paul then strives to live it out. Paul tries to live in response to the gospel, response to that righteousness and the grace that he has received. We no longer live for ourselves, but for him. And, our stand, and righteousness really has kind of two dimensions, and I think it's important for us to note this. In that first sense, which we often think of righteousness, is our standing simply before God. And that sort of righteousness is immediate and it's permanent. We're declared not guilty in God's sight. Our sin has been removed and the, the consequences and the punishment for our sin was taken upon Christ so we no longer have to face it. And so in that sense, our righteousness is, is immediate and permanent and is it has to do with our, our standing before the Lord. But there's a second part of righteousness that we often neglect and we don't talk about a whole lot. And that's that, that because of our standing before God, because of that righteousness we've received through Christ, we then need to, to live that out in right relationship we need to live rightly towards God and towards other people. In other words, since we've been made new in Christ and since we have that righteousness that comes from him, we need to then allow that to practically manifest itself in our lives. I think of our, our prayer covenant that I know many of you are praying along with us this summer. Uh, I, have the, I have the card here and I know it's, it's, there's a blown up version on the wall over there. Um, but that third from the bottom, which is labeled as influence, Make me an instrument of your grace, truth, forgiveness, righteousness, and justice. What are we praying there? We're praying that God would use us and that God would work in us and through us to allow those things to become a reality in our world. To see things like truth being proclaimed, God's grace being made known, forgiveness, and another way you could put that is reconciliation taking place, and righteousness and justice being made manifest. Amos 5:24 says, "But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream." Justice and righteousness aren't, aren't that different. They're the same. There's that parallel there. Justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. And so we want to see God's righteousness in us being made known in this world. Paul also talks here about self-control. One of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. And it's something that God produces in us. And again, this is important for us to note. It's not about pull yourself up by your bootstraps and avoid all of those 
temptations and all those sins we know aren't pleasing to God or that cause problems and strife in our world and other relationships. It's, it's the self-control that God produces in us through His Spirit. That as we grow to rely on Him more, as we go to trust in His promises more and more each day, He does something in us to help us to then be, have, have more self-control. It's a fruit that God produces in our lives. And so as we grow in Christ's likeness, we, we have this ability then to, to avoid those things that are not of God. And again, we're not perfect in that. And that's not going to happen all the time, as we'll talk about in just a moment. But, but we begin to see that become a reality in our lives as we trust Him more and more. And then finally, he says here about the final judgment. It's, it's, it's talking about Christ's second coming, when, when the kingdom of God will be fully realized and fully established here on this earth. And it's important to note that when we talk about the final judgment, when the New Testament talks about the judgment uh, that is to come, and when the Old Testament talks about that day of the Lord, the reason why it's being talked about, the reason why God informs us that this will take place is so that we have motivation to live good and pleasing holy lives now in the present day. Jesus and Paul both likened the return of Christ to a thief in the night. And the reason they did that wasn't to emphasize necessarily the suddenness of Christ's return or the surprise nature of Christ's return. Jesus himself said, only the Father knows the day and the hour. That's not for us to know. And so people would try to piece together the clues to try to figure out when the return of Christ will happen. That's, That's not the point of it. That's not the reason why Scripture talks about that. The reason Scripture gives is so that we'll be encouraged to live lives now that are pleasing to Him. The reason why He's likened to a thief in the night is because those who take the appropriate measures to protect their home and to protect their property will be ready whenever that does take place. And Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore, after speaking of, of the second coming of Christ and the judgment, he says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you're already doing. Live lives that are pleasing to God here and now, so that whenever Christ does return, whenever that judgment does take place, we'll be ready for it, because we've received Christ's righteousness for ourselves, and we're living in response to that. If we keep that our focus... We'll be ready for Jesus whenever he does return. And so what should our response be to all of these things? Well, as we see from Felix, I would encourage you not to follow his example. For Felix, this information, this conversation about the impact of the gospel in his life was too inconvenient for him. He wasn't willing to be pushed out of his comfort zone for the sake of the gospel. And he's on to something, though, because the gospel is inconvenient. Grace isn't always fair. And the reason for that is because it does change us, and it will push us out of our comfort zone if we allow it. And so the question is, I want to ask you guys, is, is when is it convenient for you to grow in grace? When is the right time for you to allow God to truly work in your life? And the answer to that? It's probably never. When's it the right time? When would I have been fully prepared to take Josephine home from the hospital and feel fully equipped to be a dad? Never. (laughs) 
in my own power, in my own strength, I would have never felt completely 100% fully ready to step into that role in my life. But I did it anyways. And the same is true for our, our, our commitment to the gospel and allowing him to work in our lives. We're never going to be fully ready for it. We're never going to feel like we're 100% ready. Okay, God, now I'm ready. Use me. But we need to be willing to be obedient and submit even when we're not ready for it ourselves. And there may be a couple reasons why we're not willing to allow grace to grow in our lives. One, we may not feel qualified for it. Again, in his letter to the Philippians, this time in chapter 2, Paul writes in verse, beginning of verse 12, Therefore, my dear friends, as you've once obeyed, not only in my presence, but how much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. And then later in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Peter writes, His divine power has given us everything that we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Some of you may now have a VBS song stuck in your head from this past year. That was our theme verse. But those two verses, I share that with you because they hold an important truth. And that's, we're not always going to be ready. We're not going to be prepared in our own power to serve God and to love our neighbor and to, to make disciples like God has called us to do. But he will provide what is needed. He'll provide everything that's needed to live a godly life and a life that's pleasing to him through his spirit in our lives. There's an old saying, I'm not sure who, who, would be, who should be credited with it, but I've heard it from many different sources. God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. You may not feel ready, you may not be prepared to serve him, but he will prepare you in time and he will provide what's needed. He's the one who works in you to grow you in grace, and he'll provide what's needed. We, know, we need only to be willing. And the other reason we may not be ready to grow in grace is because we feel like we may have already disqualified ourselves. If you read Romans 7, there's this interesting passage that Paul, he goes back and forth talking about how, how there's this almost like this battle, this struggle that's taking place within him. There's this, there's this good part of him where he knows what's pleasing to God, and yet he doesn't do that. And there's another part of him who knows what's wrong, and yet that's what he finds himself doing. And it's the struggle that, that I believe describes the normal Christian experience. You see, because it's not about God removing our sinfulness from us, because the reality is, is that we will continue to sin, we'll continue to struggle with our sinful nature from now until we're in eternity with Him. The normal Christian experience is this struggle will take place between our sinful nature and then the the grace working within us in His Spirit. God doesn't remove our sinful nature, but He does give us the ability through His Spirit to deal with it, to respond to it faithfully. So that when that time comes, the ultimate victory will be experienced and seen through Christ and when he returns. But that doesn't mean it's hopeless. That doesn't mean, oh, well, I'm just going to throw my hands up in the air and forget about it. 
It means that as we struggle with those things, that doesn't disqualify us from ministry. That doesn't disqualify us from following Christ. That means that that's, you're just normal like everybody else. And God can work in and through that still for his glory. Grace is uncomfortable because God wants to stretch us and, and move us out of our comfort zone. One of my favorite books when I was a kid was The, the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. And in the Voyage of the Dawn Treader, there's this one scene that has stuck with me. Um, since I was a kid when I read it, I reread it again as, a, as an adult. But there's this one scene, um, and, and it has to do with a boy named Eustace Scrub. See, he was not a very good kid. He was very greedy, very selfish. And, and on his journey in Narnia, he came across a treasure. And he was so consumed by it, he wanted to hoard it for himself that, that he didn't tell anybody else about it and just, just kept it to himself. And he put this golden bracelet on his wrist and he fell asleep just basically hugging his treasure. And when he awoke, he had this pain in his wrist. The bracelet was still there, but as he looked, he realized that he was no longer the little boy he was. He had become a dragon. He had been transformed by his greed, by his selfishness. And there was nothing he could do about it and it had caused him pain. And he, he tried, he just, he, he had been brought to this, this place by Aslan and, and he just knew that if he could get into this well, he, the waters would heal him and relieve his pain. But there was nothing he could do himself to get in there. He was just too big. He tried to, try to tear away at his dragon scales and his skin so that he could, he could find his way into the well. And day after day he tried, but it was to no avail. It just caused him more and more pain. And it wasn't until he was willing to lay down and allow Aslan, this, the great lion, the Christ figure in this story, it wasn't until he was willing to lay down and allow Aslan to, to shed his skin for him. And it hurt. It hurt to have those dragon scales and that, that all the greed and the selfishness that those represented removed from him. But that's what was necessary. And after he went through that process, after Aslan removed that, that outer shell, he was able to finally be healed. And before he realized that he had become that boy again, he couldn't do it himself. He had to allow God, he had to submit to God and allow him to work through him. You see, positive growth may mean the removal of certain attitudes or actions that are not pleasing to God in order to make room for Christ likeness, in order to allow room for the spirit to work in us and through us to make an impact in this world for his kingdom. Sometimes God has to do the hard work of pruning us in order for us to grow. But again, it's not a righteousness of our own, but one that comes from Christ. And so I want to encourage you today to walk worthy with him, to live a life that's, that's, that's honoring to him and pleasing to him, not, not just know about God's grace, not just give it lip service, but truly live it out. And so in closing, I want to pray for you a prayer that Paul has in, in his letter to the Colossians. It's from Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. This will be our, our closing prayer. And I pray this for myself and I pray this for you as well. He says, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with wisdom, excuse me, to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all the power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people 
and the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his son, whom he loves, and whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Praise God. Let's stand and in closing, let's sing the first verse of number 376. I have decided to follow Jesus. us to follow you. Empower us by your spirit that lives in us to follow you and and serve your kingdom and your purposes here in this world by your grace. In Christ we pray this. Amen. You may go in peace.